Welcome to Capital City Christian Church. My name's Jeremy. Let's stand and let's worship our God. And all I see is the battle. You see my victory.
crying out from the pit of my despair and there you were in the shadow holding out your hand you made me there and now Hurt 
story. This is God's story, and God wants you to be a part of it. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God wants you to be a part of his story? And I know the past couple weeks, we we have a new series. It's the the I Believe series, and we've had a couple I Believe statements previously, right? This week is no different. We have another I Believe statement. I believe you see it on screen here. It's I believe God wants to save me. So just just marinate in that for a little bit. I believe that God wants to save me. How powerful is that? He wants to save me, and he wants to do that through Jesus Christ. So let's continue standing and worshiping our God. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Well, let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all it's stealing And you're desperate for some healing Let me tell you about my Jesus He makes a way where there ain't no way Rises up from an empty
You guys go ahead and have a seat. Good morning. Welcome to Capital City Christian Church. My name is Logan. I'm one of the elders here. We're so thrilled that you decided to come spend your Sunday morning with us. If this is your first time here, make sure to let somebody know in the seat back in front of you, there is a card. You can fill one of those cards out. Drop that off at the welcome desk. Also, just say some hi, say hi to somebody out there that's got a name tag and just say, hey, I'm new. Where do I go? What do I do? Why are there so many bald people? What, what, what is this happening at this church? So you can ask all those questions. Uh, just a few things before we get started in the message today, uh, just some announcements. Coming up next weekend on Saturday morning is our men's fellowship breakfast. So ladies, push your guys out of bed, send them to this awesome, awesome event. We're going to have uh, Flash Wilcox is going to be there. He's from the uh, ministry Ring of Fire Ministries. He's going to be bringing in uh, some good word as well as taking up some donations for the homeless ministry. So make sure, fellas, you bring some stuff for that. Uh, also, that same weekend is our Trunk or Treat. Uh, we do need volunteers uh, to sign up for that. You can go to our Church Center app. Uh, we need candy. We need people to help with inflatables. We need people to help with games. We need people to help with hot dogs. So if you can't tell, we need a lot of help. So uh, make sure to sign up for that. On Wednesday, November 2nd, is our Cap City Open Forum. That's going to be at 7.40 p.m. right after our Wednesday night services, so make sure to hang out for that. Uh, we're going to go over any questions that you've got about the upcoming year. We're going to talk about some of the ministries that we've got going. Uh, we're going to go over uh, elder nominations and candidates as well as the budget and all that fun stuff, so make sure to come out uh, for that. Now, I am a sucker for a good story. Um, growing up, Paul Harvey, anybody remember Paul Harvey? You guys are old. Uh, Paul Harvey was one of my heroes growing up. Uh, I, I loved how he would tell a story. He, he would start a story like around lunchtime, and he wouldn't tell you who the story was about. Uh, and, and he would end the story, and, and, and he, you'd have to come back in the afternoon to, to hear what? The rest of the story, right? He, he became famous for how he ended it. Now, the ending of his story, and now you know the rest of the story, would make no sense at all if he didn't start the story well. You would never make it to the rest of the story if he didn't have a good hook at the start of it. And so many stories are that way. So many stories have such a good hook at the very beginning, just in the very first line. Uh, now, being a dad, I've got a, a six-year-old and a four-year-old, and, and, and the most common story start is once upon a time, right? Or being a kid from the 80s, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? That's another good one. What are some good story starts? You guys holler them out. Not everybody at once, please. In the beginning, Tommy, of course, Tommy would say that. He's an elder. Good job, Tommy. What else? A long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Any others? A dark, stormy night, yeah. What else? So 
in the beginning, right? We're going to talk about that one a little bit today. That is the, the, the start of the Bible. If you never open it up on page one, that's where it starts. In the beginning, God. And that sets the story, that sets the, the stage for what you're about to learn, what you're about to hear about. And what that tells us is that this is God's story. In the beginning, God. He always was, always will be, right? And it tells you on step one that that's who this story is about. But the amazing thing about God is that he wants you to be part of that story as well. He invites you to be part of that story. And that's what we're going to dive in today. So let's watch this video. Long before the beginning of all other beginnings, God is. In a burst of creative activity, God creates the world and everything in it. Humans are designed to live inside of this unique relationship, but they choose otherwise. The law of God is broken, and the heart of God is pierced. But the story isn't over. In the fullness of time, God gives his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus comes to seek and save those who are lost, wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. On the cross, God is in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathes his last. But the story isn't over. On the morning of the third day, the power of the living God erupts, breaking through death with the moment that will defy all other moments. Perched at the edge of heaven, the angels stand in awe as one of their own rolls away the stone that's guarding the body of Jesus. As if anything can guard Jesus. He walks out of the tomb alive. He is victorious. He is conquering death and rendering the grave unnecessary. He is living and moving and breathing as only the risen Son of God can. But the story isn't over. We are, every one of us, searching and hoping and longing for life. It's a desire that's been deposited into our souls by the very same God who spoke it all into existence. And it's this exact life that the resurrection of Jesus invites us into. So bring your hopes, your regrets, your successes and your failures. Bring your doubts, your joys, your fears and your dreams. Be resolute and unwilling to settle for anything less than the abundant life of the risen King. Because truly, if the story isn't over, that what happens next might just change everything. Good morning. Uh, I'm Tommy. This is my wife, Laura, and this is Everly Johnson. And she decided that she would make today the day that she would enter in that story. Um, Friday was uh, Everly's birthday. She turned eight, and she said she, all she wanted to do for her birthday was get baptized. And I think it's just an awesome thing that you, you get to see your children born, 
but it's a greater experience to watch them be born again. So, Everly, if you would repeat after me, I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, the Son of the Living God, and I accept Him now, and I accept Him now as my Lord and personal Savior, as my Lord and personal Savior. Oh man, that's pretty cool. Uh, all right, the word of the day. I feel like this is a little bit like Sesame Street. The word of the day is story. All right, story should be like popping up on a billboard, right? We're talking about story. And when you think about story, if you think about the best stories, what is it that they have in common? What is it that draws you in to a good story? What is it that would make you read a book a second time? What would make you watch a movie a second or a third or a fourth or a fifth time? What would make you watch a movie so many times that you've memorized all the lines and then you would watch it again, right? Like what is it about? What grips you and pulls you in? And there's a lot of different answers. There's lots of different things that we could say that would cause us to, to love a story. And so let's just kind of run through some of them. One, it, it might be the characters, right? We love a good character. And if you even look, you're going to see some pictures of some characters up here, and they're iconic. You're going to instantly know the names. You're going to know the stories, right? We have Batman and Darth Vader, and this is Forrest Gump, right? And this is Katniss. It helps that her name's on there, all right? Katniss Everdeen. All right? And when you see them, instantly you know their stories. You go right to exactly who they are in their stories, right? And, and, and there's something appealing about them. You're drawn to these characters. There's something that, that kind of connects us to them, right? But here's the big question. Do the, do the characters make the story or does the story make the character? I mean, if you, if you removed the stories that you know about them and you just had a bland, normal life for these people, would they still have that grip on you? Would they still be appealing to you? You see, I, I think characters play obviously a very, very vital role in a good story, but I don't think the characters make the story. I think the story actually makes the character, doesn't it? And so if it's not the characters, then maybe it's, maybe it's the setting. The place where these stories happen can be really significant, right? In fact, so much so that you may even travel to go and see the place. If there's a story that you just love, maybe you would go to it. And maybe that's Disney World or maybe that's a specific location that really exists in the world outside of Disney World, right? But there's some places. And there's a place like Tombstone. There's, there's, this is Asgard. You can't really go visit that unless they were to build it at Disney World, right? You've got Alcatraz. That's a, there's all sorts of movies and stories that come out of this place. And this is Ratliff Stadium. If anybody knows Ratliff Stadium, come up and I'll give you a high five after the service, right? These are powerful places and really cool stories and neat things that you can go and experience, right? And, and there's something about the story that draws us to those places and it causes us to want to go and to visit them and to see them and to experience them. But the reality is, is, is that the setting probably doesn't make the story great. It's the other way around. That a really good story makes an ordinary place extraordinary, doesn't it? A good story actually changes a, a simple place and it turns it into something special. And if it's not the character, and if it's not the setting, well then it must be the plot, right? And plot to me sounds a lot like the word story. It seems like a synonym for story. It's... It's kind of similar. And when we think about our, base, our best stories, our favorite stories, when we think about the ones that we connect with and that we love, it's usually a plot twist, 
We love a good plot twist, don't we? We love it when what we expect to happen doesn't happen. We love it when something that we don't expect to happen all of a sudden happens. We try to anticipate the twists before they happen within the story. And so there's great movies like The Sixth Sense. Uh, my all-time favorite is The Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah, The Usual Suspects. And even Frozen. I mean, come on. Frozen has some incredible plot twists, all right? Things you would not have expected, okay? And it catches you off guard. And we love those stories. But I don't think it's even the plot. I mean, the plot, that word plot, it's, it's too generic. There's too much that goes into it. The plot has this whole process, and there's parts of it that aren't necessarily intriguing or captivating. I think we can actually get more specific. I don't think it's as simple as just saying it's the plot that makes us love a story. I think it's something more specific, and it's this. I think it's conflict, and it's resolution. I think that's what actually draws us in. We love a big conflict. We love a big conflict because it brings about a big resolution. The bigger the conflict, the bigger the resolution. And this is true in all genres. This, this, this principle crosses over everything. And so it's going to be true in your love stories like The Notebook, which, yes, I've seen, all right? And then it, it's true in your comedies like Dumb and Dumber. The bigger the conflict, the better the resolution. You've got your stories, your Disney princess movies like Moana. You've even got your thrillers and your action movies like Jurassic Park. All of them have a big conflict and all of them have a big resolution. I would be willing to bet that if we talked about your favorite movie, if we brought out your favorite book, you would be able, be able to identify a big conflict and a big resolution. Years ago, I read an uh, article about Will Smith. Will Smith, early in his career, he was on TV as the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and he was kind of getting started, and he wanted to step into movies. And so he and his agent sat down, and they spent like a whole weekend working together trying to figure out what the best possible movies were. What was it that made a movie become a blockbuster movie, okay? Like a big-time, big, big grossing movie. And so they, they kind of did their research. They spent like a whole weekend pouring through it, doing the research, boiling it down and boiling it down and boiling it down. And at the end of the weekend, they came up with this. They said the best movies have special effects, creatures, that's their language, and a love story. And he used this information to filter which roles he would say yes to. He wanted to be successful. He didn't want to take a chance on a movie not playing out the way that it should and it ruining his career. And so he's very selective. And so the first movies he chose, and this is why I think he's a movie star. It started out this way. His first movies, Bad Boys, Independence Day, Men in Black, Wild Wild West. All of them hit at least two of those three. In fact, these three all hit all three. They've got special effects and creatures, like even Wild Wild West with the weird spider-looking crawling thing, right? And, and then they have this kind of love story that gets wrapped up into it. And even Bad Boys, it hits at least two of those three. There's something about those stories, but I think there's something he missed. It's not just as simple as saying those three things and that's the formula. I think there's actually something more that resonates, that pulls us in and draws us in to specific types of stories. It's within this context of conflict and resolution. And each of these four movies has something else in common. Someone is being saved. Every single one of these stories, every single one of these movies that he specialized in, that he started his career in, someone was being rescued, which meant that there was someone showing up as a hero, and that resonates with us. I think that's something that we kind of connect with really well. If you look at the top 10 grossing movies of all time, 
you would find that of the ten, at least eight of them, at least eight of them are movies where someone is being rescued or something is being rescued. Four of them are Avengers movies. One of them is Star Wars. One of them is Titanic. I mean, someone didn't, I don't want to be a spoiler, someone didn't get saved, but they tried, right? <laughs> okay, it's so like every single one of these movies, there's, there, there's, there's this thing about us, right? When we watch these movies, we're drawn to these stories of, of someone being saved, of someone being rescued. We love the hero, don't we? We love the story where there's a hero who shows up and he gets all the credit. And so we love movies like this, The Magnificent Seven, the original and the new. They're both great, right? And Saving Private Ryan, we think of any of the Avengers movies, right? We love the story of a hero. We love when there's conflict and when someone brings about resolution, when someone comes and saves the day. And I think it's because deep down, deep down, the reason we connect to these stories is because we kind of, we want to be the hero. We want to be the hero. The best stories have someone who's lost or hurt or helpless or hopeless and desperate, and they have an incredible hero, and that's who we want to be. And I think the reason that we love these stories so much is because there's something deep within us, every single one of us, that resonates with this idea of overcoming conflict. That's why it's such a big story. We love a big conflict and we love a big resolution because in our lives we have lots of conflict. There's conflict all around us. Every single one of us is battling something. There's things in our lives that we can't control or problems that we can't seem to resolve. And there's saving work that needs to be done. And deep down, deep down I think we know that I don't have what it takes. That I'm not the hero. I mean, it looks like a lot of different things. It could be your relationships. Maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe, maybe your kids are rebelling against you. Maybe, uh, maybe you, you're going through a hard time and you're waiting for your friends to show up and support you, but they don't. And it just kind of breaks, and so you feel this conflict with these relationships around you, and you expect something to happen, but it's not going to happen through you, and you find yourself needing a hero. And maybe it's not your relationships. Maybe it's just being an adult, just being responsible, having your own responsibilities. As an adult, the bills just keep showing up, don't they? Every day, the walk to the mailbox is among the most depressing walks there is, right? They just keep showing up, and, it, and it's easy to just kind of fall behind. It just kind of weighs on you, and over, like everything, the schedule, your calendar just keeps demanding something else from you, and it can be overwhelming. Your grass grows faster than you can cut it. You hate your job. I mean, there's all sorts of responsibilities and things that we carry with us that become overwhelming and burdensome to us. And we've got this conflict and we would like to be the ones to fix it, but we really just can't. We need a hero. Maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe it's much bigger than that. Maybe, maybe your parents are getting old and they need more help. Maybe your doctor just called and they used the word cancer. They used the word terminal. Maybe... Maybe you got a phone call that you've been dreading for some time and you need a hero. Maybe the world isn't ending like you think it is, but you know, we don't even have to look outside of ourselves, do we? There's all this conflict. We can talk about everything else. We haven't even mentioned or, or, or brought up here yet the fact that, that you're a failure. And that's a little bit harsh. <laughs> that's kind of a hard right turn. 
But there's these conflicts outside of us and it's easy to talk about the relationships and talk about the responsibilities and to talk about these pressures that are happening outside of us. But you know what? I don't even have to go there to find conflict. I have it in me. I know who I should be as a father. I know who I should be as a husband. I know who I should be as a follower of Christ. And yet I don't live up to those standards. And there's a conflict within me. I don't even have to go looking to find conflict in this world. I see it in myself. And I need a hero. And yeah, the world isn't ending. Maybe you don't have aliens or an evil stepmother trying to ruin your life. Man, there's conflict, and we need some resolution. And sometimes we can fix some problems, but most of the time, most of the time we find ourselves desperately in need of a hero. What if, what if deep down you knew that you weren't Captain Miller and Saving Private Ryan trying to save Private Ryan? You were actually Private Ryan. What if, what if you weren't Yul Brynner as Chris Adams in the Magnificent Seven or the Denzel Washington character in the newer version, which, again, are both really good, all right? What if you dreamed that you were the hero, that you were the one coming and saving him, but what if you realized, what if you knew, what if you understood that you're not the hero coming in to save the day, you're actually one of the poor villagers who's helpless and hopeless, and you need that hero to come in? What if, when you watch an Avengers movie, everyone has their favorite superhero, right? Everyone's got their favorite one that they like and they think it's just the best. And we all watch it and we pretend in our minds mentally we think we're that hero. We, would, we dream about what it would be like to be that hero. That's not you. You're that extra screaming, terrified in the streets as the cars are flying over them. That's you. What if you realized, what if you knew that you weren't the hero but that you needed a hero? And what if, what if there was a great story What if there's a story that is so good that it would change your life? What if there was a story that actually had you as one of the main characters? What if there was a great story of conflict and resolution? I believe that there is. I believe that there's a great story that actually becomes more powerful the more times you hear it. I believe that there's a story that absolutely can change your heart and change your mind and change your life and change your story. It's a story that you can find yourself in. And it's not a story that you can necessarily write yourself or find yourself outside of the way that God has revealed it. I believe that God tells us a story. And it's a powerful story. It starts in Genesis, as Logan started us out with here earlier. It starts with God and he's created everything. He's made everything and he calls it all good. That includes humanity. He makes Adam and Eve and they're good and they're in relationship with him and everything's great. There's a community, everything's healthy. It's right, it's good, it's the way that it was supposed to be. And Adam and Eve, as the crown jewels of his creation, have this thing called free will. According to the story that God tells. And they have the opportunity to at least consider living differently than the way that God had designed it. They have the freedom to choose different paths than what it is that God has built and designed for them. And eventually they do. 
Eventually, they break from the pattern. They break from the design that God has created. And when they do, God gives it a name. In the story that God tells, he says that there's a name for what happens when people live contrary to the way that he's designed it. And he calls that sin. And from that day to this one, humanity has continued breaking from God's design. And sin continues to increase. And this is where we begin seeing ourselves as characters in this story. Because we're created in the image of God and we bear his call to live in community, to live as God has designed life to be, but sin continues to win out. And whether you perceive it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you buy this story or not, whether you agree with whether it's true or not, sin continues to thrive and something deep within us pushes us towards these selfish pursuits away from God's design towards things that destroy life of ourselves and those around us. And so in the story that God tells, we have a broken relationship with God. And there's a temptation for us to point backwards to Adam and Eve, to blame them. They're the ones who sinned after all. They're the ones who messed up after all. But there's some significant things that we need to see in God's story. In Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 21, Paul tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12 expands it this way, and I love this. Paul says, sin entered the world through one man. I like that part because that's Adam. That's not me. I like, I, I, I mean, it's awkward. It's weird. I don't like that sin's here, right? But it's not on me. That's on Adam, right? And then Paul says, and then death through sin. Again, bad news, but good news, it wasn't me. <laughs> it was Adam, right? So sin entered the world through Adam and death through that. And in this way, death came to all men. It's Adam's fault is what I'm reading over and over again. Except that at the very end, Paul just has to mention this. All this happened because all men sinned. The reality is we can blame Adam and Eve all day long. The reality is, is I would have done it. Probably would have done it quicker than they did. We all carry this within us. The story that God tells says that there's a design in a way that he's created. And within us, each of us, we're carrying this desire to just live differently. To try to break away. We've all broken relationship. We're all helpless. There isn't anything that we can do to fix it. Adam and Eve tried. They tried to fix it. It didn't work. The Old Testament is full of stories of people trying to fix it on their own. It doesn't work. No one's able to get there. No one's able to accomplish it. It doesn't happen. But that's not the end of the story. And in the story that God tells, there is conflict, but there is also incredible resolution. A resolution that supersedes the conflict. The conflict is big, but the resolution is even bigger. And it doesn't come from some side character. This isn't a side note uh, and some sort of an extra little piece that comes, actually comes directly from God. In the story that God tells, in the Old and the New Testament, God reveals himself as one who saves. In the story that God tells, God is the hero. That's pretty cool. And there's lots of things that we could point to. There's lots of things in the Old Testament where God reveals this nature of his, this character of his. But we'll just look at a couple real briefly. One of them is Exodus chapter 11 and 12. It's the story of the Passover. If that's something you aren't familiar with, man, I would encourage you to read this uh, sometime today. Go back and read this story uh, because there's a whole lot more to it than what we can get into. But basically the story is this. The Israelites are captive as slaves in Egypt, in a foreign land. 
And they cry out to God, and God reveals that he's going to save them because that's who he is. It's his character. It's his nature. He's going to show up, and he's going to reveal himself as one who saves. And he, he goes through this process. Pharaoh refuses. Pharaoh won't let them go. That's the refrain throughout the whole story. And it eventually leads to this moment, this event called the Passover, where very simply God asks the Israelites to obey him in a very simple act. And those who do will be protected, and those who don't won't. And that night, something amazing and catastrophic happens. Those who obeyed were protected, and then God leads them out. He rescues them. He saves them. And that became a moment that the Israelites celebrated ever since. To this day, there's people celebrating the events that took place there. God reveals himself as one who saves. It's not just there, though. Years later, uh, Isaiah, prophet Isaiah, would write some words, this, this prophecy that he received from God, this revelation, and he writes it down in, in communication to the nation of Israel. And this is what God uh, would say to them. He says that there's one who is coming, who is pierced for our transgressions, and he's crushed for our iniquities, that the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Very simply, Isaiah spreads this news, this gospel news to the Israelites that a Savior's coming, that a hero is coming, that there's been great conflict, but one's coming. Just as God showed up in the past at the Passover, he's going to show up again in the future, and he's going to deliver. He's going to save again, and it's a powerful story. It's a powerful hope, but it took a while. And about 700 years later, 700 years later, there's a guy named Jesus who's on a cross. And when he's born, he's, he's born in a manger. It's kind of strange. There's all these miracles that surround him to match his divinity. He's God, and his life's work is to prove it. Over and over again, the work that Jesus does is proving that he's God. And his entire life, everything about Jesus is a step. Every step he's taking is really a step towards the cross working to reveal himself as God in this world, but also working towards a cross because that's his end goal. There's something significant. He can't be the hero until he ends up in that place on the cross. Now make sure you get this. And I know we're flying through this story incredibly fast, right? There's tons of stuff we're leading out, but, but make sure we get this. There's all sorts of language around the cross that sounds like the Passover, there's all sorts of things that are said about Jesus and God and their work of salvation on the cross that sounds, that has similar language as what you would read in Exodus looking at the Passover. But don't twist what's happening. The Passover was this moment kind of for a nation. It was very individual, but it's also very, very collective. There's something incredibly intimate and personal about what Jesus does on the cross. The work that he does on the cross isn't a saving work from the external conflicts that exist around us. That's what happened in the Passover. When Jesus dies on the cross, he didn't do so so that you could have a better marriage. He didn't do so so that you're, you could get along with your kids better. I mean, those are eventual things that will trickle down the line, but that wasn't the core issue. According to God, in God's story, the biggest issue that you have to face, the biggest conflict that exists with you is not something external, it is something internal. There's something wrong with your heart. There's something wrong with your mind. There's something wrong with your life about your soul, and it can't be fixed without Jesus. And so when he dies, he frees the hearts of men. According to the story that God tells, our greatest conflict isn't our struggle with the authorities of this world. It's our, it's our struggle with ourself. 
It's that word God uses in Genesis, sin. And the cross is the place where the hero is victorious. And it doesn't look like what we would expect. It's a twist. It's not the way that we would have wrote the story. It's an incredible twist, right? It isn't the way that we would have done it. It's probably not even the hero we would have chose. But it's better than anything that we could have imagined. Jesus died as a sacrifice for our sin. He got what we deserved. He's the hero. We are not. And I think we know that. I think sometimes we just need to see it and hear it. According to the story that God tells, you need to be saved. That's what God says. God thinks that you need to be saved. Does that resonate with you any? You don't have to think that you're lost. You don't have to buy this story. You don't have to believe this story. It's just a story that God tells. And this is this thing, that this reality, this idea that God thinks you need to be saved. He believes it. He believes it so strongly that he was willing to send a part of himself. He was willing to send his son on your behalf. In Acts chapter 2, there's a story uh, that happens around the early church. It's the very beginning. The Holy Spirit comes down on the disciples as they're meeting and praying, and it leads to this miraculous moment where they just like walk out of this room on this balcony, and they begin preaching. And there's this miracle of hearing that happens because we're told there's all these different people from all these different people groups who have these different languages, but everyone understands Peter. It's just this really, really cool story, really powerful thing. Again, I can't go into all the details, so go read it. It'd be great for you, all right? Acts chapter 2, all this is happening. And as Peter stands up and he begins preaching the very first sermon after Jesus has ascended into heaven, first sermon, he's preaching out to this large crowd, very diverse crowd. He tells them this. He says, God had a purpose. This wasn't random. This wasn't a story that was out of his control. This wasn't things that were just happening, uh, you know, willy-nilly, but that God actually had a purpose. He had a plan. Everything happened the way that, it had, that he intended it to. And, in fact, that the things that happened led to Jesus on the cross because very specifically he wanted to make Jesus Lord and Christ. That's in Acts chapter 2. He wanted to make him Lord and Christ. Just hear the word hero. He wanted Jesus to be the hero. And it causes us to have to respond, all right? Now, this story is crazy. This story, the story that God tells is a massive conflict, and it's a massive resolution, and it ought to lead us to this question. What does this mean for me? What does it do to me? How does this impact my life? What shall we do? You know what? That's exactly what they said to Peter. There's this large crowd, all these people respond in their own languages with, what shall we do? What do we do with this information? And this is how Peter responds. Peter replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Do you see how personal this is? Do you see that this is why you can't make the, this, this decision for the person sitting next to you? That you can't make this decision for your kids. You can't make it for your parents. You can't make it for anyone outside of yourself. This isn't something that happened to resolve external conflict. This is for you and your heart and where you're at. Every one of you, forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says this. This promise is for you 
and your children, and I love this. If you'd like to write in your Bible, would you please just make a big deal about this phrase, and all who are far off. You know why you need to make a big deal about that? Because that's you. You don't know the people that he was preaching to. This promise is for them (laughs) and for their children. You don't know them, and you've never met them. But this is where you're in the story. When God wrote the story, he put you in it. When Peter says these words, he was talking about you. You're far off, and now you're here, and this story's for you. The story that God tells has you as one of the main characters. How wild is that? Is that hard to believe? Is that hard to believe? Man. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I've been in church long enough. I've, I've, I'm new to this church and I'm new to this place, I know, and so I don't know a lot of your stories, but I've been around Christians my whole life. I've been around church my whole life, and so I know that I'm going to say some things that are true of some of you in this room. There's some of you have refused to do what Peter has laid out here because you're just not real comfortable with it. You've put off the idea of repenting and getting baptized because you just think it's not that important, it's not that big of a deal. You think that it's okay to to, to worship and to follow him without actually obeying the things that he said? Maybe you've convinced yourself that you don't really even need to be saved, that you're good enough, that you don't need a hero. It's not the story that God tells, but it's the story that you tell. Maybe you don't want to have to stand up in front of people and and walk into a baptistry and get wet. It's kind of weird and it's awkward, but I mean, it's not that big of a deal, is it? I mean, do you understand that all the excuses you have are exactly that? They're excuses? There's people in this room right now, I believe it, who have put off the idea of giving their life to Christ. They've convinced themselves that God knows what they believe and that's good enough. Really? Really? What are you waiting for? A God who would tell a story this incredible, who would tell this story with you in mind, and you can find an excuse, it's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? Two weeks ago, we, we said this phrase together. We said, I believe the God of the Bible is the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You remember that? We talked about who God is, and, and we said that phrase together. And then we said this last week. We said, I believe God is involved and that he cares about my daily life. Those are big steps to believe right? Those are big things to believe. But if you believe those things, then you should, you should believe this third one too. I believe God wants to save me. And I love how we, how we phrase this and put this together because this isn't about you doing something. This is about God. You don't have to to, to, to like wrestle with different parts of this just to simply be able to recognize that the, according to the story that God tells, God wants you to be saved. According to the story that God tells, God wants to save you. Do you believe that? Do you actually believe that? Do you see yourself as someone who needs to be saved? Is that a phrase that you could repeat and that you could say? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go into a time of communion. 
because I think that, that when we talk about these things, it's good for us to recall what it is that Christ has done for us on the cross. That's what this message is. And so every week we do this. We come to the table and we have, uh, you know, we have some bread and we have some juice and we recall what it is that he's done for us. For some of us in this room who've accepted this gift that God has given, this incredible work, hero, life-saving work that he's done, we're going to spend some time remembering exactly what it is that he has saved us from. And in that, it would probably be good for you to just simply ask this question of yourself. Do I live like someone who's been saved? That'd be a good question for a lot of us in this room. And when we do communion, we do some other things as well. This is where, where we give back. We believe that God has given to us so well that we're going to respond back. And so we have a black box on every table. That's for the offering. That's for the family. If you're part of this family, if you're part of the work that we're doing here, that's a place where we give back because God's been good. And then outside of that, we do a very Kentucky thing, all right? We have a bucket on the table, all right? And we call that our generous bucket. And that's where we give even more because we, got, we believe that God has given more than we could give. And so there's times when we feel led to give even more than what we would normally give. And that goes in the bucket. And what's really cool about that is that doesn't have anything to do with us as a church. That just goes directly to help people in ways in which they need to be helped. And that's really cool. So here in a moment, we're going to stamp and we're going to go to the tables and we're, we're going to do that. But here's, here's really who I want to speak to. There's some of you who haven't made that decision. There's some of you who haven't given your life to Christ. And this is an invitation. I'm going to be sitting on the front row right up here. And if that's the decision you're ready to make, come up here and let's talk about it. The water's warm. You just saw people get in there and they didn't even like shudder. It's warm. It's ready. We've got everything you need backstage to be able to get baptized. Let's do it. There's no need to wait. It's time. Why don't you stand? Let's go to the table.
Father, thank you for this time that we can come together. Father, this time when we can come and worship you. And thank you for, for the message that you spoke through Ben today. And I pray that we take that with us and we, uh, we remember that this week. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you all for being here today. Um, go out and do great for God. <laughs>